Today on the Matt Walsh Show, President Biden had a town hall event yesterday. Mostly he babbled incoherently, as he tends to do, but the coherent parts were the most disturbing. Among other things, he called for kids under the age of 12 to wear masks. We'll talk about why pushing masks on kids, especially at this point, is irrational, anti-science, and I would also say abusive. Also, our five headlines, including a new poll which shows that race relations are at their lowest point in decades. I wonder who we can blame for that. And J.K. Rowling continues to stand firm in the face of insane hatred from trans activists. And also in our daily cancellation, I will address the very intense, very intense backlash from my review of a BTS song that we posted to my YouTube channel this weekend. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. One of the sad facts among many about being an adult in this world is that you have to pay money for everything all the time. This is one of the most shocking things you realize as an adult is that, wow, everything costs money. But uh, there are so many things you have to pay for monthly. Insurance should be the least of your worries. You don't need to add that onto the pile. And that's what Policy Genius can do for you. They can make it easy to compare home insurance and auto insurance in one place. They make it very easy and very cheap. They can help you find home and auto coverage similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. They've saved customers an average of $1,200 per year over what they were paying for home and auto insurance in the past. Their team will handle the paperwork for you um, and set up everything for you. Uh, All you got to do is just head to policygenius.com, answer a few questions about yourself and your property. Then Policy Genius takes it from there. They They make it idiot proof. Uh, and they make it very affordable for you. They'll compare rates from America's top insurers from Progressive to Allstate and find your lowest quotes. If you want to take advantage of this, then go to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. So President Biden, a town hall event last night hosted by CNN, moderated by political activist Don Lemon. Anyone deranged enough to sit and watch the whole thing while it was live may have noticed that the camera only ever showed the front couple of rows in the auditorium. That's because every row but the few up front were empty. It continues to be, and you can see the picture there, it continues to be apparent that the decaying old man waddling around and speaking in semi-coherent half-sentences doesn't inspire a lot of enthusiasm. What a shock. Now, that characterization may have been a little unfair, I have to admit. I shouldn't say that he's semi-coherent. That probably gives him too much credit. Here he is answering a question about when... Children under 12 will be able to get vaccinated. And I only know the question he was trying to answer because it's written on the screen. Otherwise, I'd be at a loss. Listen. It's like the other question that's illogical. And I've heard you speak about it because you always, I'm not being solicitous, but you, you're always straight up about what you're doing. Yeah. And the question is whether or not we should be in a position where you uh, um, are, why can't the, 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 Experts say we know that this virus is, in fact, uh, um, uh, it's going to be uh, or excuse me. We we know why all the drugs approved are not temporarily approved, but permanently approved. That's underway, too. I expect that to occur quickly. Well, that means you mean for the FDA, for the FDA. So the federal drug administration. Ah, yes. A presidential quote that will go down in history. Alongside the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, and I don't know, Roosevelt's man in the man in the arena speech will also be this. Quoting what you just heard there. I've heard you speak about because you always, I'm not being solicitous, but you you're always straight up about what you're doing. And the question is whether or not we should be in a position where you are, why can't, and the experts say, we know that this virus is in fact is is going to be, excuse me, 
We all know the drugs approved are not temporarily approved, but permanently approved. Joe Biden, 2021. But other times, of course, the sentences coming out of his mouth were more or less intelligible, while the overall point or message made no sense at all. Such was the case with his answer on uh, the question of inflation. You seem pretty confident that, that inflation is temporary, but if you're pumping all of this money into the economy, couldn't that add to... No, the, the, look, here's the deal. Moody's today, when our Wall Street firm, not some liberal think tank, said if we pass the other two things I'm trying to get done, we will, in fact, reduce inflation. Reduce inflation. Reduce inflation. Because we're going to be providing good opportunities and jobs for people who, in fact, are going to be reinvesting that money back in all the things we're talking about. Okay, so by spending trillions of dollars, we will reduce inflation. Or excuse me, we will not just reduce inflation, but reduce inflation, reduce inflation, reduce inflation. Maybe inflation is like a witch's curse, and all you have to do is say the magical incantation three times, and it'll go away. Magical incantations, after all, have just as much of a chance of reducing inflation as a multi-trillion dollar spending bill does. Now, it's fun to laugh at the nonsense, but as always with Biden or any other Democrat, they're the most terrifying when they are the most coherent. And I mean coherent in a relative sense, of course. The point is that Biden will disturb you the most when you're able to actually understand what he's trying to say. And I'd say that was certainly the case with his answer on gun violence. Actually, crime is down. Gun violence and murder rates are up. Guns. I'm the only guy that ever got passed legislation when I was a senator to make sure we eliminated assault weapons. The idea you need a weapon that can have the ability to fire 20, 30, 40, 50, 120 shots from that weapon, whether it's a whether it's a nine millimeter pistol or whether it's a rifle is ridiculous. I'm continuing to push to eliminate the sale of those things. Now, uh, first of all, saying that murder is up, but crime is down is like the doctor coming in and telling you good news. Your cholesterol levels are good. Uh, Bad news. You have Ebola. It's not really anything to take solace in or be proud of if criminals are committing fewer nonviolent crimes because they're too, they're too busy murdering people. Also, it's hard to say that crime generally is down when places like California have simply stopped counting crime as crime. Just yesterday, there was another video of two people, this time at a TJ Maxx in Los Angeles, strolling casually out of the store with an armful of merchandise that they didn't pay for. And they know the crime won't be prosecuted, won't be counted. This is especially egregious, by the way, at TJ Maxx, where you can get, I mean, the guy walking out, he's got like 15 pairs of jeans. You could buy those 15 pairs of jeans at TJ Maxx for maybe $15 total. But why pay for it? If you have no ethical, if you have no, no, no moral sense whatsoever, uh, you don't care about anything like that. You don't care about being honest and moral. It means nothing to you. You're a nihilist. You're empty inside. Go ahead and take it. Uh, but on the official record books, there were no crimes committed yesterday at that TJ Maxx in Los Angeles. And that's what Biden means when he says crime is down. The crime that we are counting is down. But I'm burying the lead myself here because the bigger issue is that Joe Biden just came out and said that he wants to eliminate the sale of handguns. Not big, scary assault weapons, whatever those are exactly, 
but handguns. He says you don't need guns that fire 20 or 30 shots. Well, that, that takes lots of different kinds of guns off the table. One wonders how many rounds Biden thinks our guns should have. Maybe he thinks we should all be carrying six shooters like the Old West back in Biden's youth. Either way, it's not conspiracy to say that Biden is coming for our guns. He said it himself. And he's doing it in the name of stopping a gun violence surge that has been driven almost exclusively by criminals who are using guns that they don't legally own in the first place. The thug on the street corner shooting someone over drugs or money, and that's what almost all of this is, is already breaking 20 different laws. Biden hopes that by adding a 21st law for him to break, that'll solve the problem. Perhaps the the criminal will say, well, uh, I'm willing to break 20 laws, but not 21. I got to draw the line somewhere. A a man has to have some standards after all. I have my doubts about that. And anyway, it doesn't matter or it shouldn't matter because the Second Amendment still exists as much as Biden and his ilk wish it didn't. That wasn't the only disturbing answer that we heard. There was also this on the subject of masks. The CDC is going to say that what we should do is everyone over the age of under the age of 12 should probably be wearing a mask in school. That's probably what's going to happen. Secondly, those over the age of 12 who are able to get vaccinated, if you're vaccinated, you shouldn't wear a mask. If you aren't vaccinated, you should be wearing a mask. Everyone under the age of 12. Um, This manages somehow to be a more moderate position than the one taken by the American Academy of Pediatrics, which, like we talked about yesterday, they they announced that all kids ages three and up should be wearing masks, vaccinated or not, the entire school day. Um, And presumably outside of school, too. If they should be wearing it in school, why shouldn't they be wearing it out out of school? The latter position was echoed by CNN doctor uh, Jonathan Reiner, who, who called for every kid going to school of any age and any vaccination status to uh, wear a mask. Let's listen to that. What is the safest bet for kids when school reopens in a matter of weeks? Yeah, so I think uh, every kid going to school should be masked, uh, vaccinated or not. And I know this is this angers uh, the people who have uh, been vaccinated, but we need to protect uh, everyone. And we really can't tell who's been vaccinated and who hasn't. I think every kid going to school should have a mask on to protect e- those who just have chosen not to be vaccinated and those who can't be. Uh, you know, moreover, I think we need to accelerate vaccinations among adolescents. We've only vaccinated about a third of eligible adolescents in this country. This is a preventable illness. You know, every state in the United States requires vaccinations for school-age kids. Why is this vaccine any different? Preventable illness. And he's right, it is preventable. Do you know for kids... Um, in almost every case, what, what prevents the illness for them? Uh, their immune system. So he's saying we need, we need to, they need to wear the masks to protect. Well, to protect who? Who are you protecting? All of the adults working at a school have the opportunity to get vaccinated, and the vast majority certainly have been by now. 80% of teachers were vaccinated by the end of March. So where are we now? That's just the latest number I happen to see. I'm, I'm quite certain we are near 100% at this point. And even if they weren't, even last year when they weren't vaccinated, still the kids posed almost no risk to them. Which is why the data sh- showed that, that schools were not vectors for transmission as had been predicted by the COVID panic pushers. 
And why is that? Because kids, by and large, are at an extremely low risk to get seriously sick from COVID or to spread it. We've always known this. So who is their mask protecting? Who was it ever protecting? Now the adults in school are vaccinated, and the kids, again, are not at any serious risk at all. An article in New York Magazine, uh, published yesterday as well, actually made this point. Reading now, it says, The kids are safe. They always have been. It may sound strange, given a year of panic over school closures and reopenings, a year of masking toddlers and closing playgrounds and huddling in pandemic pods, that according to the CDC, among children, the mortality risk from COVID-19 is actually lower than from the flu. The risk of severe disease or hospitalization is about the same. This is true for the much-worried-over Delta variant. It's, it's also true for all of the other variants and for the original strain. Most remarkably, it has been known to be true since the very earliest days of the pandemic. Indeed, it was among the very first things we did know about the disease. The preliminary mortality data from China was very clear. To children, COVID-19 represented only a vanishingly tiny threat of disease, hospitalization, or severe, uh, or of death, hospitalization, or severe disease. Now, I read that to you because New York Magazine is, uh, is, is, is not a right-wing publication, to put it mildly. And this is all incontrovertibly true. You can't get around this. If kids should be masked for COVID, even now, when with most adults vaccinated, then kids should be masked all the time forever due to all the other diseases that pose a much greater statistical risk. Though I'm, I'm realizing that this maybe is not the best way to frame the argument. I realize that saying, well, if kids have to wear masks for COVID, then they should wear masks for everything. That's not the best way to get through to the mask cultists at this point, because they're likely to just say, yeah, okay, great idea. Let's put masks on them for everything all the time. These people are such terminal cowards, and their minds are so deluded and damaged that they're happy to have children live every day as though the very air they breathe is fatally toxic. They would muzzle their kids, deprive them of a normal life, a normal childhood, like the one that they had, and the opportunity to do basic things like see each other's faces and smiles, and they would do all of this, are doing all of this, simply to satiate their own outlandish paranoia. Putting masks on kids at this point, at any point really, but especially now, is not only anti-science, not only irrational and illogical, not only does it contradict the data and the evidence, but it's also child abuse, in my opinion. It's become a form of Munchausen by proxy, making your kid act like he's sick or think that he might become deathly sick and doing this all to satisfy your own strange psychological needs. But the good news is that these mandates require our co cooperation. We can simply say, no. I'm not putting this thing on my kid's face just to make you feel better. It's not going to happen. And then let the chips fall where they may. We're going to have to get to that point if we're not there already. Because it's clear and has, and has been clear from the beginning that the tyrants simply will not ever let up otherwise. Now let's get to our five headlines. The Daily Wire team in Nashville continues to grow. We currently have uh, multiple open positions across the company, all of which can be viewed at dailywire.com slash careers. This week, we're highlighting the paid media buyer opening. The, uh, this member of the Daily Wire marketing team will create and, ex and execute paid media campaigns for Daily Wire. We're looking for someone who is skilled with organization, time management, and attention to detail. At least one year of previous professional experience in a paid media buyer or similar role is required. 
and Excel proficiency is crucial. This is an in-office position in Nashville, Tennessee, so qualified candidates should apply through dailywire.com careers. Here's some more good news for you. This is from Gallup. Uh, it says, for the second consecutive year, U.S. adults' positive ratings of relations between black and white Americans are at their lowest point in more than two decades of measurement. Currently, 42% of Americans say relations between the two groups are very or somewhat good, while 57% say they are somewhat or very bad. The most recent rating of black-white relations in the U.S. is not statistically different from last year's 44%. However, the reading has eroded nine percentage points over the past two years as the nation has grappled with the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent nationwide protests and calls for racial justice. A lot of air quotes around much of what I just read there, especially protests, calls for racial justice. Um, As recently as 2001, 70% of U.S. adults rated black-white relations positively. That changed after several high-profile killings of unarmed black people by police officers around the U.S. Uh, Now, I think this is worth pointing to this poll for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, back in 2001, 70% rating it positively. And that kind of confirms, especially people in my generation, what we've always, what what we remember. This is not just us looking back nostalgically through rosy-colored glasses as people tend to do. Um, idealizing their past and their childhood. It's not just that because my memory um, of my own childhood and and, uh, adolescent, a teenager, in high school, middle school, my memory is that this, all of this racial stuff, it it wasn't an issue. We didn't talk about it or think about it. Um, I went to schools that were very racially diverse, and it, I don't remember it being an issue. It wasn't something that we talked about. We didn't, we didn't sit around. The critical race theory had not, it existed out there, but it hadn't made its way into the school, into the school system at that level yet. And so we, we, didn't, we didn't sit around every day talking about our racial differences and the fact that we're white and our whiteness and what that means and everything. There was, there was other forms of left-wing indoctrination that I recognized even at the time. But not that. As far as that goes, we kind of went about our day as kids and whatever. Wasn't an issue. That's certainly my memory of it. And the polls, if you look back at the polls and surveys, whatever they tell us, that would appear to to back that up. Um, It's an issue now. Why is it an issue? How has this happened? Well, Gallup says that it's because of police shootings. Um. That's not it, because we know that there has not been, if, if there had been over the last couple of years a, a, an epidemic of innocent unarmed men, unarmed black men being murdered by the police, then a huge spike, an epidemic of this kind of thing, then maybe the reason they're giving here might make some kind of sense, but that epidemic doesn't exist. It's not real. As I have and I've presented the data many times. I've written about it. This is another incontrovertible fact. Vast majority of police shootings are entirely justified, clearly justified. Um, and in the majority of cases, the, the, the criminal, the, the person who is shot, is armed themselves. Killings of unarmed people, black or white, extremely rare. And it happens more often to white people than it does to black people. Extremely, extremely rare. 
And even in many of those cases, it's, it is still a justified killing. Because very often the perp, the, the perp is in the process of trying to kill police officers some other way. Like, for instance, trying to run them over with a car. That counts as unarmed. So that's what the facts say. Um, but the media has taken these things, as you have noticed, and they have created this racial narrative. It, this is their fault. So this is their handiwork. The media, they can look at this Gallup poll and they can kind of say, well, our work here is done. Or maybe not done. Or perhaps our work here is just beginning. Our work has been a success so far. Phase one, successful, they can say. This is all very intentional. This is exactly what, this is exactly the effect that they want to have. This is the impact they were looking for. Because the epidemic of, of racist white cops hunting down black men and killing them, that is a media invention. And they know that they're inventing it. And there's a reason why they're doing it, because this is what they want. Um, and why do they want it? A lot of reasons for that. For one thing, and we can never forget about this motivation. When it comes to the media anyway, this is always going to be the number one motivation for everything. It, you know, ratings, money, uh, money talks. And it gives them something to talk about. You know, the BLM rating, the, the BLM riots, great for business, for the media. If they can take a police shooting and uh, George Floyd, great for business, for the media. And also it makes people easier to manipulate politically when there's this kind of racial tension. Tribalism. Um, it's, it's politically convenient. It's good for business. And that's the reason. It's pr- pretty simple. But this is all them. They have done that. And now we're bringing it into schools and we're, and, we're, and we're bringing this to kids. And we are telling kids now from a very young age, you know, we are forcing them not just to notice the racial differences because, of course, anyone notices. You see someone who looks different from you and you notice that they look different from you. It's one thing to simply notice it and then go about your day. But what the media and, and now what the school system is saying is, no, this difference, we want you to notice it. We want you to focus on it. We want you to think a lot about it. And by the way, if you're a white person, even, I hate to tell you, but you are, there's all kinds of guilt that you, that you have inherited. And you need to apologize for things you had nothing to do with. Yeah, f- funny enough, when you do that, you've laid the groundwork and you're going to end up with um, race relations being in pretty bad shape. Bad shape, relatively speaking. You know, to, to those of us who are just honest, decent people, we, we would call it bad. The media, though, it's not bad for them. This is great for them. It's what they want. All right, this is from uh, AL.com down in Alabama. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical about so many things, but you, you tell me, okay? This one was being passed around on, uh, on social media quite a bit yesterday. That's how I came across it. So this is what the article says. It says, Dr. Brittany Cobia said, said Monday that all but one of her COVID-19 patients in Alabama did not receive the vaccine. The vaccinated patient, she said, uh, just needed a little oxygen and is expected to fully recover. Some of the others are dying. Cobia, a, a hospitalist at Grandview Medical Center in Birmingham, in an emotional Facebook post Sunday said, I'm admitting young people 
young, healthy people to the hospital with very serious COVID infections. One of the last things they do before they're intubated is beg me for the vaccine. I hold their hand and tell them that I'm sorry, but it's too late. Um, Cobia told AL.com, uh, back in 2020 and early 2021, when the vaccine wasn't available, it was just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. You know, so many people that did all the right things and yet still came in and were critically uh, ill and died. It says in the United States, COVID is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated, so on and so forth. We know about that. Um, Kobe continued on Facebook. A few days later, when I call time of death, I hug their families, family members and I tell them the best way to honor their loved one is to go get vaccinated and encourage everyone they know to do the same. Okay, now here's the part where the skepticism comes in. They cry, and they tell me they didn't know. They thought it was a hoax. They thought it was political. They thought because they had a certain blood type or skin color, they wouldn't get as sick. They thought it was just the flu, but they were wrong, and they wish they could go back, but they can't. So they thank me, and they go get the vaccine. And I go back to my office, write their death note, and say a small prayer that this loss will save more lives. Okay, that's the part there. Uh, what she's being claimed is that, is that multiple people in the hospital, I don't know if she's talking about the family members of, of the dead or the people, the, 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 the sick people right before they die, say, uh, oh, I thought only a certain skin color, I thought old people only, of only a certain skin color would get sick. You tell me, do you, do, you, do you buy that? Multiple people are saying that? And the, the implication here, obviously, is that these are white people who are saying, oh, I, I didn't know white people could get this also. Who, who thinks that? I, I haven't, I've interacted with lots of people all across the spectrum in terms of their view of COVID. I haven't heard that from anyone. I haven't heard a single person say that to me. So, yeah, call me skeptical. In fact, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just straight up say I do not believe this. But this is, we, we have seen this over and over again from these medical professionals. They feel the need to, um, you know, they, they, to kind of to puff up the story a little bit, exaggerate a little bit. And then you, you lose credibility. Because otherwise, the fact that she's dealt with dying COVID patients, I certainly believe that. It's a very upsetting and horrible thing. I believe that. Uh, most of the people that are seriously sick from COVID that she's dealing with now are unvaccinated. Certainly believe that too. So stick with that and tell us about your experiences. That's fine. But you feel the need to racialize it, make it political. And then all of the credibility is, is out the window. Everything else you said, no one's paying attention anymore. All right, next is from the Daily Wire. It says, a, uh, a well-known black social activist targeted famed Harry Potter author uh, J.K. Rowling on Wednesday, patronizingly, patronizingly avoiding her name and tweeting, uh, J.K. Rowling is just another violent white woman. Bree Newsom, who was lauded by then-presidential candidate Hillary Clinton in 2016 for shimmying up the flagpole and removing the Confederate flag from the South Carolina State House in 2015, apparently was referring to Rowling's exchange regarding the transgender community as she continued ranting, Talking about J.K. Rowling, she said, what she did is classic violent white woman behavior. Go out of her way to use her powerful position to target a minority group that already experiences daily systemic violence and then claim that she's the real victim when there's backlash. Unlike those she targeted for no reason who are already disproportionately the victims of violence, murder, and hate crimes, she can afford personal security. 
uh, can even afford to live isolated in luxury if she wants to. She's, she sees no connection, has no empathy, a violent personality. As the article goes on to talk about, uh, while J.K. Rowling is, is accused of being violent, committing violence against people because of, for, for sharing her opinion, her opinion, which, is, which should not qualify as conservative or right-wing or anything, um, her opinion is, in fact, I'm, I'm not even sure if she goes this far. I, mean, I was going to say that her opinion is that there, there are, you know, biological differences between men and women, and that's what de- determines what, what your sex is. But I'm not even sure if, if she, maybe she's gone that far, if we could call that going far. Um, mainly, she just doesn't think that, you know, men should be in locker rooms with women and that sort of thing. Um, and she is the one who has received death threats. Um, you know, th- th- there was someone who tweeted at her over the weekend and that she was responding to who said that she wishes someone w- would put up, would put a, uh, a pipe bomb, pipe bomb in her mailbox and that kind of thing. Now I bring this up because JK Rowling, uh, left-wing author, uh, sh- she is one of the few people that we've seen. I think she deserves some credit. She's one of the few people that we've seen that has experienced this kind of intense, sustained backlash for years now. I, mean, I can only imagine. You see what's what's tweeted at her, what people say to her in comments publicly, openly threatening to kill her. So whatever you see pu- publicly, keep in mind that it's going to be about 10 times worse in the private messages she gets. And she's been getting that for months and probably years now and has not let up. And she wasn't backing down here either. And uh, I'll give her some credit for that. Yeah. Now, yes, she's a multi-multi-millionaire. And so she can afford to tell these people to piss off, basically. But being a multi-millionaire and having a lot of money, that hasn't stopped many other people from caving anyway. Uh, but she has. So I probably don't agree with her on anything else. But on this, at least, when I, when I see someone simply just standing their ground, um, making a really obvious common sense observation or expressing an opinion that's obviously the correct opinion, and then getting this insane reaction and standing firm and saying, eh, that's my opinion, I'm not going to apologize for it. Anyone who does that now, I, uh, I, f- I feel a need to give them at least a little bit of credit for that because it's, so, it's unfortunately so rare. All right, this is also from The Daily Wire. It says, fashion magazine Marie Claire wants to see more parents getting abortions on network television and in films. Using the popular left-wing obsession of representation, the 84-year-old uh, women's publication ran an article on July 16th worrying that if more women who are already mothers, don't see characters like themselves killing their unborn children, they might not choose to do so as well. And that would be, what a tragedy that would be. That would mean that more, more children are born. We can't have that. Author Danielle uh, Campamore, who also uh, has written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and Vanity Fair, promoted her piece on Twitter saying, parents are the most common abortion patients. It's time we see ourselves having abortions on screen. In the story, she argues, Countless studies have highlighted the importance of representation in the media, be it race, gender, relationships, body size and shape, mental health or disability status. 
The same is true of abortion. But accurate depictions of the most common abortion patients, parents, parents is still severely lacking. You know, the thing that stands out about, about this to me is, uh, yeah, it's, it's deranged and twi- twisted that you, that you want to see more abortions on screen at all, or that you want to see any abortions on screen in the first place. But think about that. She says, well, the most common abortion patients, quote unquote, are parents. Uh, but we don't see, but anytime there's a story involving abortions in a, in a movie or a show, it's not, it, usually it's not a parent getting the abortion. And that's a problem for th- this writer. Well, hang on a second. No, no, no. Let me correct you. It's not that parents are the most common people to get abortions. It's actually that by definition, every single person who has ever gotten an abortion is a parent. That is exclusively going to be parents. Every single person, by definition. Because if you're getting an abortion, it means that you're a mother. And that's not semantics at all. This is not, this is not splitting hair. That's, a, that's a, a very important point. Because that, this is the message that they're kind of sneaking in here with something like this. Forget about all the stupid stuff about representation. The message is that if you are a woman and you get pregnant and you don't have any other kids who are born, then you're not a mother yet. You're not a parent. You're not a mother or a parent until the baby is born. And uh, so if you go and, and get an abortion, then you, you're, you're not a parent. You can remain not a parent. But that is not the case. Once you, the moment that your child comes into existence, you are a parent. Again, by definition, you have offspring. That, that's what a parent is. Look it up in the dictionary. And so the moment that the child is conceived, comes into existence as a physical entity distinct from yourself, another organism which is what a child in the womb, at any stage, the child in the womb is a separate organism, biologically, scientifically, and that that organism is your offspring. You are the parent, the mother. And as I have uh, tried to communicate many times, and not not as a way of, of, not even as a a way of of heaping guilt or anything, just as a... a, um, as a simple observation, when you get the abortion, you don't go back to not being a mother. You are now the mother of a dead child. And I think that's very important to realize. Something has happened here in the conception of that child that cannot be undone. And that's the lie that they get the, from the abortion industry. You know, they, well, what they're told is that, is that pregnancy is this kind of no man's land. Um, it gives you nine months to just decide. You, you, don't, you don't have a kid yet. And if you decide that you want the kid, then, then, then magically now you are the mother. But it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a nine-month return policy sort of situation. It's not the way it goes. In conception, something has happened that cannot, cannot be undone. A, a life has come into existence. You can kill that life, but you're still a mother. Now you're the mother of a dead child. 
All right, let's move, move now to reading the YouTube comments. This is from uh, Joe Shack. He says, we will never relate to Matt's lived experience of suffering with uh, CVD. That's color vision deficiency. And I, there were a lot of comments about color vision deficiency. A lot of people relating to my lived experience who are in this community uh, maybe didn't realize that they also are, are, are in a victim group like, like I am. And so that's the good news. Um, Fortitude says, Matt, you should try the Enchroma glasses for colorblindness. They actually help you see colors way better. I know this because I also am color deficient and the glasses have helped more than I thought they would. Well, I have to say fortitude. I, I think it's ironic you call yourself fortitude. But you are a, a traitor to the CVD community. This is, our, this, is, this, is, this is who we are. This is our identity. It's people who can't see color. I don't know. I honestly don't know what color this shirt is. And that's not a joke. I know it's either red or brown. Possibly green. But that is my, that's my experience. That's who I am. I wear glasses to reject that identity. Um, Bryce says, Matt has a medical condition that doesn't allow him to pronounce someone's name the same way twice. AOC and Kamala are different every single time. Even Bezos became Bezos. I don't know what you're talking about. I always get these comments from people remarking on the way I pronounce names. I I don't know what you mean. Um, And Scott says, so as a visually disabled colorblind individual, do you walk around tapping a crayon on the ground ahead of you? That's deeply offensive to me. Those kinds of stereotypes. It's not a joke. Um, Garf says, between his wife's insulting tweets and his producer's insulting polls, I've come to think of Matt as the most oppressed man on the internet. Wait, the producers insult me with their poll? What are you talking about? Am I being insulted by my own producers in the comment section? We just asked about your clothes. Just asked about my clothes. This is, see, this, this, this is the, the persecution I suffer on a daily basis. Everywhere I turn. You know, the only place I can turn to feel welcome and, and welcomed and, and like I belong is, uh, is to the Sweet Baby Gang. Speaking of which, you know, we played the Sweet Baby Gang anthem a couple days ago. I thought it was a beautiful work of art. Many other people now are, are making their own Sweet Baby Gang songs, and uh, I kind of love them all. They're, they're all like my children. I, I can't choose which one I love the most. But here's another uh, submission. This is Kayla Kelly. You can find her on YouTube. And uh, here is her idea, vision for a, a Sweet Baby Gang anthem. Let's all listen together. Where to begin? Lost in the sea of leftists Trying to use my common sense It then becomes clear there is a gang we belong to Led by a man with a glorious beard Thought there was no hope Felt like the whole world had gone woke But now I know
Remarkable. Remarkable. Uh, I, I just listening to that, I imagine myself you know, standing at the, at the pearly gates, surrounded by whiteness and light, and, and listening to the, the, the angelic choruses singing that song. Um, beautiful song, obviously goes without saying. And uh, I can't believe no one else thought of, of the Sweet Caroline, Sweet Baby Gang connection until now. So brilliant. That was Kayla Kelly again, the artist there with that, with that great song. Uh, and I love that. I am, I am still waiting, not to be ungrateful, but I, I am also waiting for someone to do the banjo rendition. Because at the end, we got to settle on one anthem. Strong competitor there. Last one we played was strong competitor. Um, I want to I wanna hear what the banjo, like bluegrass, Sweet Baby Gang anthem sounds like. So we'll, we'll keep searching. The search continues. There are a lot of news podcasts out there. I'm sure you've noticed that if you go if you go look up that category, tons and tons of them. But the problem is that many are packed with leftist propaganda. And that's why, from the Daily Wire newsroom, we present Morning Wire, the morning podcast that values your time and the truth. We're thrilled to see that our listeners share our appreciation of the facts because the podcast just launched this week. And it's already the number two podcast on Apple and number 11 on Spotify. While we're proud of this, we need to help. We need you to help us get the news you need to where it belongs at number one. So subscribe now to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. You also like, you're going to like this as well, um, The Authoritarian Moment. That book, Ben Shapiro's new book, that comes out next Tuesday, July 27th. But um, if you want to get a signed copy, then go to dailywire.com slash Ben right now to order your signed copy before Tuesday's live signing. That's what we're going to do on Tuesday when, when the book comes out. He's going to be signing all these books live. When you do, you'll be asked to type in a question at checkout, and then you can catch Tuesday's live signing to see if he answers your question, and you can watch him sign your book live. What are you waiting for? Get your copy at dailywire.com slash Ben right now. Let's get to our daily cancellation. So today I uh, must address a certain PR crisis that I have been embroiled in all week and have tried my best to ignore, but it's obvious that I'm not going to be able to remain silent about this. Many of you, especially those who watch this show on YouTube, know that I, I often will post music reviews to my channel. We've reviewed all kinds of different songs by different artists from different genres. Some of the songs are artistic masterpieces like uh, We Paid by Lil Baby, Kuda by Takashi 69 Great song. Some were a bit subpar, like Driver's License by uh, Ariana Grande or whoever it was. And then there was the other song by that chick from TikTok. The point is, we have reviewed the whole gamut. But until this past weekend, we had not reviewed any K-pop music, and that was an oversight that we knew we had to remedy. K-pop, for those who aren't familiar, is short for Kill Me Now Pop, because it causes those who are subjected to it to experience suicidal urges. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, that's just regular pop music. That's all pop music. And you're right. It's very similar to pop music, most pop music, except this is Asian in origin. Um, The biggest group in that genre is called BTS, and they're the ones I reviewed on my channel. As I explained in that review... The first few times I heard the name BTS, I confused it with BTK, the Bind, Torture, Kill serial killer. And I was rather disturbed, frankly, to see that so many adolescent girls were such big fans of his work. And then I found out that BTS and BTK are two different things, and and I was relieved. But then I listened to the song, and I realized that, in fact, I might actually prefer BTK over BTS in hindsight. The point is that I I didn't especially like the song. It's no uh, we paid, that's for certain. And so I gave 
BTS, two thumbs up for, for not being serial killers, as I had previously suspected. But I did ultimately give them two thumbs down for the song itself, which was terrible. As it turns out, BTS fans do not like it when you don't like their music. Even though my review was honest and respectful, well, honest anyway, still, the BTS fans have flooded the comments, my messages, my inbox, with a, with a deluge of extremely aggressive criticism. As it stands right now, my video has about 10,000 thumbs down and 10,000 comments, almost all of them negative. And the comments generally fall somewhere on the scale between, I disagree with your opinion about BTS, and, and uh, I'm going to find you and kill you for not liking my favorite boy band. Generally leaning more towards the latter end of that spectrum. Uh, and also, I, I've been informed, especially through many messages on Twitter, that um, I am ugly, uh, stupid, white, male. One message stipulated that I am both ugly and hideous. Two, two different things, I guess. So I got all my bases covered. Another adds that uh, I'm an ugly, jealous bitch and my face looks like an ass. Many comments took exception to the fact that I allegedly accused all BTS fans of being deaf. I've been informed that this is bigotry and uh, and a miserable and I'm and uh, you know I'm a miserable hateful sack of garbage especially for making a comment like that during what is apparently disability awareness month. Many other comments insisted that uh, I need to do my research before talking about BTS again. And on and on and on. In summary, people really didn't like the video. Really 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 didn't like it. Now this is the daily cancellation. So you're probably expecting that I'm going to now cancel all of these salty pop fans for getting so mad about my music review. But I would not dream of adding to the trauma that I've already caused them. In fact, today, for the first time, I'm going to cancel myself. And also for the first time, I am going to say sincerely, and I really mean this, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. BTS fans, I am sorry, truly. Though I'm, I'm afraid I've been misunderstood. Yeah, I accused you of being deaf. I didn't mean it as an insult. I just assumed that you must be deaf if you can listen to that music without dry heaving. That's it. I, you know, it's, it's like when you see a woman with a beer gut and you say, congratulations on the pregnancy. She says, I'm not pregnant. You, you were going on context clues and you arrived at the wrong conclusion. I was incorrect in my assumptions and I'm sorry. I'm also sorry for being ugly, hideous, white, and male. If I could do it over again, I would have identified as a beautiful woman before recording that video. That's what I should have done. That was my own oversight. I take ownership of that. And I apologize for not doing my research. Um, I spent six months reading through volumes of information and literature before reviewing Takashi 69 for example. I traveled across the globe. I consulted experts. I, I sought guidance and insight. I climbed to the top of a mountain. I meditated alongside a Tibetan monk. I prayed and fasted all to prepare me for that YouTube video. But for the BTS video, I admit I did none of that. No research, no consultation, no prayer. In fact, I'll even admit, we decided to do that video at the last minute because we couldn't think of any other content. And uh, I put literally no preparation into it whatsoever. And disaster followed. This is my fault. And mine alone. But also mainly the producers. They should have stopped me. So blame them. Uh, and I will live with the regret for the rest of my days. I, I haven't slept all week. 
I'm, I'm tormented by the terrified screams of BTS fans who discovered for the first time that not everyone shares their taste in music. Their tears haunt me. Their anger, their disappointment, it stabs like a knife into my soul. Much like the music stabbed like a knife into my eardrums. What else can I do now but plead for your forgiveness? I, I never meant to cause you pain. I want only for you to feel joy and happiness in this world. And in the words of BTS from their song, Butter, sidestep right, left to my beat, high like the moon, rock with me, baby. Know that I got that heat. I don't know what that means, but I'm sure it applies here somehow. And all I can say now is that today, once and for all, I am canceled. And we'll leave it there on that somber note. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, editor-in-chief of The Daily Wire. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, Senator Rand Paul and Dr. Anthony Fauci spar over gain-of-function research. Teachers groups gather to discuss race and social justice. And negotiations over the infrastructure bill appear to be wrapping up. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. 